Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay, I guess. Relatively speaking. So, you remember how last week I fucked up and accidentally erased the episode and had to scramble to put something together? Well, it happened again. <laughs> I mean, not the exact same thing, but pretty similar results. The important thing is, wasn't my fault this time. At least, you know, that's the important thing from my perspective. See, this episode was supposed to be about Defenders 109. And Corey and I had recorded a conversation about the comic book for this episode, but we recorded it remotely. Corey was out of town. So a couple days ago, I sat down and started to edit that episode. And after I had been working on it for a while, I got to about the 20-minute mark in our conversation, and Corey's recording drops out. So once again, we didn't have an episode. <laughs> Fortunately, we had already recorded the conversation for what was supposed to be next week's episode about New Teen Titans number 52, so we're doing that this week instead. We're going to re-record our talk about Defenders number 109, and you'll be getting that next week. So I'm not crazy about throwing off the rotation like this and doing two New Titans episodes in a row instead of alternating with Defenders, but... I don't really see a way around it right now, so sorry about that. Anyway, we have an incredibly convoluted synopsis to get through, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Lucas Bickford. Wong is something of a renaissance man. Aqualad does whatever an aqua can. Hulk's love of beans is quite adorbs. Danny should learn not to play with strange orbs. Enchantress has stolen Val's body from her. Troy takes the advice of the New Englanders. Whew, that's a lot, and now Hub's gonna top this, all off with the start of this week's synopsis. Synopsis? Thanks, Lucas. New Titans, number 52. January, 1989. Who is Wonder Girl? Chapter 3. Trackdown. Written by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Drotted by George Perez. Inkted by Bob McLeod. Letterded by John Costanza. Colorded by Adrian Roy. And edited by Barbara Kiesel. Teen Titan Roll Call. Wonder Girl. Nightwing. Beast Boy. Raven. Cyborg. Starfire. Jericho. Danny fucking Chase, Speedy for like a second, and Xanthi. Hooray! Previously in DC continuity. Wonder Girl, a.k.a. Donna Troy, had an origin story that was a complicated mess of contradictory retcons. Then, the Crisis on Infinite Earths happened, and Wonder Girl's origin story became an even more complicated mess of even more contradictory retcons. Also, it never happened. Previously in New Titans. 
the Titans returned home from a mission and started yelling at Danny Chase for being a dipshit. Then they noticed that there was a small metal sphere floating around that looked like one of those deadly orbs from the movie Phantasm. Danny explained that he had found the Phantasm sphere floating around somewhere and thought it looked neat, so he brought it home with him. What a dipshit! Suddenly, the mysterious sphere expanded into a portal and a bunch of bug-like aliens who spoke in indecipherable glyphs popped out and shot Donna with their space lasers. Raven teleported and injured Donna to safety, and the rest of the Titans started killing as many of the aliens as they could, because their strict no-murder policy only applies to aliens some of the time, and apparently this wasn't one of those times. The remaining aliens started fleeing back towards their portal-slash-phantasm sphere, but a strange young woman with stars in her hair showed up and used some nonsense magic to murder them all before they could escape. Hooray! The strange space-haired lady demanded to speak to Donna Troy immediately. The gang asked why, and the lady spent a great deal of time explaining why she didn't have time to explain why. Then, Raven and Wonder Girl teleported back. The stranger made a beeline for Donna and explained telepathically to the continuity-confounding crime fighter that the reason her backstory was all higgledy-piggledy was that all of her memories from the ages of 3 to 13 were made-up bullshit that had been total recalled into her brain for her own good. While that startling information was still sinking in, the telepathic bond broke. The star-haired lady appeared to age several hundred years all at once. The suddenly senior stranger explained that her name was Phoebe, and that she was one of the titans of ancient Greek mythology, specifically the Titan of the Moon. Hi, Phoebe! Phoebe informed Donna that she and her fellow OG titans were the ones responsible for implanting false memories into her brain to cover up the fact that they had raised her on a distant planet and given her superpowers. Donna wanted to know what gives, but by this point, Phoebe was dying of being super duper old. The gang hooked her up to some high-tech gadgets, and Joey used his creepy powers to jump inside of her body, which managed to extend the Moon God's life for a few minutes more, for some reason. With her dying breath, Phoebe delivered 20 pages of dense, occasionally self-contradictory exposition, which doesn't exactly line up with the mythology I learned from Edith Hamilton, but here goes. <sighs> A super long time ago, the Earth, a.k.a. Gaia, hooked up with the Sky, a.k.a. Uranus. Heh. They had a bunch of kids, which were the ancient Titans. Uranus was a dick, so the oldest Titan, Cronus, killed him. Everything was super chill for a while, but then Cronus and his wife-slash-sister Rhea had kids which fucked everything up because those kids, Zeus and the traditional pantheon of Greek gods, sucked. Zeus and his siblings murdered Cronus and threw the rest of the Titans into space. Bummer. They landed in a far-off galaxy on a desolate moon which they named New Cronus in honor of their fallen leader. They spruced the moon up a little bit, but decided that they wanted people to worship them, so they headed down to the planet the moon orbited, colonized it, and imposed their ancient Greek culture on the planet's native inhabitants. Shockingly, this didn't go great. Phoebe explained that the natives of this planet, whose name Sinrianak just happened to be a portmanteau of Syria, Iran, and Iraq, were too, quote, primitive and warlike, unquote, to appreciate the culture that was being forced upon them. How ungrateful! Also, the demigods that resulted from a lonely Rhea fucking some of the Sinrianaki dudes all declared war on each other and fucked up the planet something fierce. Realizing that they goofed, the Titans retreated to New Cronus. Despite the fact that the last two batches of kids they had didn't exactly pan out for them, the Titans decided they wanted to give child-rearing another go. Rhea split her soul into twelve pieces and zoomed around the galaxy, collecting orphans who were about to die and bringing them to New Cronus. Once they got there, each orphan was given a hunk of Rhea's soul, which gave them superpowers, and was renamed after an ancient Greek city. Donna was one of these orphans and was given the name Troy. The orphans, or Titan Seeds as the OG Titans called them, 
were raised, educated, and taught to use their powers responsibly. Then, for bullshit nonsense reasons, the Titans decided to erase all memories from the Titan seeds, implant new fake memories into their brains, and send them back to their home planets for 50 years. Only things didn't go as planned. Sparta, the seed from Sinrianak, the racistly named primitive planet that the Titans had initially attempted to colonize, ended up retaining some of her actual memories, which made her go cuckoo. Sparta used her superpowers to conquer her planet, then attempted to invade New Cronus and steal the Titans' powers. The Titans thwarted this invasion attempt, so Sparta invented some fancy-pants spaceships that looked like phantasm balls and used them to send her warriors across the universe hunting down the other Titan seeds, murdering them, and stealing their powers. She had managed to murder all but three of her targets before Phoebe snuck off New Cronus, split her soul three ways, and went off to warn the surviving seeds. Two of the soul fragments got zapped by phantasm balls, but one of them made it back to Earth with just enough time left to deliver a metric shit-ton of exposition to Donna before dying. <sighs> When she finished her colon-blowing exposition dump, Phoebe handed Wonder Girl a phantasm ball and told her that she and the rest of the new Titans needed to track down the other seeds before Sparta killed them and used their powers to destroy New Cronus. Then she died. Bye, Phoebe! Donna left her husband, Terry Long, a brief message saying she was going into space for a mission and didn't know when she would return. Then the gang split into two teams. Donna, Raven, and Beast Boy hopped in the phantasm sphere that Phoebe provided and zoomed off in one direction. Nightwing, Cyborg, Starfire, and Jericho hopped in the phantasm ball that the aliens they murdered left behind and zoomed off in the other direction. Danny fucking Chase wanted to go too, claiming that he had murdered just as many aliens as the other Titans did, but Dick told him that the fact that he didn't know he had to act like he was sad about murdering aliens meant that he wasn't mature enough to go murder more aliens and that he was grounded. Donna's crew ended up on a desert planet where they met one of the remaining Titan Seeds, an adorable, muppety-looking dude covered in white fur named Xanthi. Hooray! Xanthi linked up telepathically with Donna, which restored all of his memories, just as Donna linking up with Phoebe had restored her memories. Xanthi hopped into the Phantasm Sphere, which on the inside looked like an alien boob factory, and zoomed off towards New Cronus with his new pals. Meanwhile, Dick's Phantasm Sphere brought its passengers to a militaristic planet. Upon landing, the quartet of incautious cosmonauts found themselves surrounded by hostile forces pointing an array of high-tech weapons at them. Gadzooks! How will Dick and his crew talk their way out of this one? What is Dick's plan to convince an alien he's never met to go to a planet he's never heard of because all of his memories of childhood are fake? And am I being unfair in my assumption that naming the, quote, primitive and warlike, unquote, planet a mixture of three Middle Eastern countries is racist rather than coincidental? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so they won't. He doesn't have one. And maybe... But seeing as at the time this comic book came out, there was a storyline in Batman that involved Iran naming the Joker as their UN delegate, I don't feel like DC Comics has earned the benefit of the doubt on this one. Danny fucking Chase is alone in the Titan Tower, moping about the fact that he doesn't get to go off-planet with the other Titans because he was too enthusiastic about killing aliens. Then he hears that a different group of aliens is attacking the Earth as part of DC's big crossover event, Invasion. He tries to assemble a team of Reserve Titans to help him fight the menace. Oh, Danny. That's not how a sociopathic child left alone in a palatial estate is supposed to repel invaders. 
you should be setting up a series of elaborate and potentially deadly traps involving paint cans, blowtorches, and cardboard cutouts of Michael Jordan. Well, maybe Danny will get the chance to employ the Kevin McAllister method after all, because he's unable to get in touch with any of the Titans Reserve members. Most of them are out on missions already, but Robin, the Jason Todd one, is just plain missing. Oh well, I'm sure he's fine. Eventually, Speedy calls to see where the Titans are. Danny asks if he can help the arrow-slinging adventurer fight aliens, but Speedy hangs up on him. Hooray! Terry Long calls the tower to try to find out where Donna is, but Danny ignores the call and storms off, presumably to attach a heating element to the front doorknob in case the extraterrestrial wet bandits show up. Meanwhile, on the surface of a planet we eventually learn is named Karakin, Nightwing, Jericho, Cyborg, and Starfire are surrounded by a hostile military force that has about a hundred laser guns pointed at them. After a few minutes, Athens with a Y, the group's leader, shows up. He is a gruff, no-nonsense warrior, wearing an intimidating mech suit. Dick figures that since the Titan seeds are all named after ancient Greek cities, this Athens guy must be the person they're looking for. Dick's like, Hey, so here's the deal. All your memories are wrong, and you need to come with us so you can help us save the extraterrestrial gods who kidnapped you when you were a toddler, okay? Surprisingly, Athens is not swayed by this compelling speech. Weird. Athens is like, Fuck you. The last group of aliens we encountered totally fucked up our planet. You guys are a bunch of liars, and not even good ones. The laws regarding unauthorized intruders on our planet are really clear. You are hereby sentenced to death. The gang isn't too keen on being executed, so they attack their captors. Jericho uses his creepy lemur eyes to jump inside of Athens with a Y. Athens slash Joey starts flying around all loopy. Athens is like, There's a creepy alien kid inside me! Kill these jerkholes! Kill me if you have to, but definitely kill them! The Titans do their best to fight the military guys without killing them, but it's not going great. The battlefield is a scene of total chaos. Then it gets worse. In the midst of the confusion, a second phantasm sphere lands on the planet. Uh-oh. A horde of Sparta's bug-like alien warriors swarm out of the orb and start attacking everyone. Unlike in their previous encounter with the Sinrianakis, this time the Titans can understand what the aggressive aliens are saying. The insectoid invaders are after Athens, but are unsure who he is, so they figure they'll just kill everyone on the planet to be safe. Athens is not privy to this information, and orders his troops to attack both the Titans and Sparta's warriors. In the ensuing melee, Starfire is injured. Joey uses Athens with a wise body to catch the space princess as she falls and carries her into the phantasm sphere. The rest of the Titans follow him in, and over Athens' very vocal objections, they zoom away from the planet. A few seconds later, Sparta's warriors detonate a powerful bomb and blow up the entire planet. Damn. Athens is understandably peeved about the destruction of his homeworld. He tells the Titans that he will make them pay for the devastation he feels they brought with them. Cyborg is like, Hey, fuck you! It's probably your fault the planet blew up. If you had just immediately believed our totally unbelievable story that we have absolutely no evidence to support, 
then maybe you'd still have a world full of friends and family. Asshole. What the fuck, Vic? Vic's little speech doesn't exactly calm Athens down. Joey is getting tired of puppeting the irate alien warrior around, so he holds him in place while Vic shoots him in the face with a sonic blast that knocks the last surviving son of Karakan unconscious. Starfire is like, Poor guy. Dick, are we the baddies? Dick is like, Hmm. Nah, it's probably his fault. Now, let's go to New Cronus. Okay, so... Remember how after she linked telepathically with Phoebe, all Donna's memories about growing up on New Cronus came flooding back to her? And remember how once Xanthi linked up telepathically with Donna, all his memories of growing up on New Cronus came flooding back to him? Yeah, I remember that too. Too bad Wolfman and Perez don't. Because as they're approaching New Cronus and their phantasm sphere, Xanthi and Donna discuss that they wish they could remember growing up on New Cronus, but they don't. They don't have long to dwell on their forgetfulness, though, because as they're about to begin the landing process, a fleet of Sparta spaceships, which had been lying in wait for them, begins to attack. Our heroes are hopelessly outnumbered, but it turns out those Phantasm Spheres are pretty badass. Not only that, but they're designed to respond instantly to the telepathic commands of Titan Seeds like Donna and Xanthi. Which is neat, but it seems like a pretty significant design flaw in a vehicle that was explicitly designed by Sparta for the express purpose of hunting down and killing the Titan Seeds. I mean, it'd be like building a hunting rifle that worked normally, but could also be telepathically controlled by any deer who got near it. Regardless of the dubious plausibility of this feature-slash-bug, the Titan Seed-slash-Orb interface works like a charm. Under Xanthi and Donna's silent control, the unorthodox vehicle zips nimbly between some of the attacking warships and plunges unscathed through the center of others, blowing them to smithereens. Sensing a small egress through the force field that protects New Cronus from invaders, the tiny orb darts through it causing the ships pursuing it to crash into the invisible barrier and explode. Eventually, the Phantasm Sphere lands on the moon's surface. Donna and Xanthi have returned to their childhood home. From her command vehicle still in lunar orbit, Sparta is like, Well, that sucks. They just killed a bunch of my best guys. Ah well, the good news is, at first I thought all three of the remaining seeds were on that ship, but now I'm pretty sure it was just two of them and some lady with a bird-shaped soul tummy who has a kind of similar vibe to a titan seed, but isn't one. That means there's still one seed out there that I can try to intercept. On the surface of New Cronus, Xanthi, Donna, Raven, and Beast Boy have a look around. They're not impressed. They walk to a crumbling set of columns that is topped by nine robed statues. Beast Boy is like, man, what a shithole. One of the statues is like, yeah, sorry about that. We would have tidied up, only we weren't sure when you'd get here. Turns out, those statues are actually the OG Titans, who I guess like to stand motionless on top of crumbling columns. Eh, everybody needs a hobby. Donna and Xanthi are pretty surprised, not only by the OG Titans' choice of hangout spots, but also by the fact that they all look like they're about a million years old. Which, maybe they are? 
I don't know exactly when the Greek myths were supposed to take place, but seems like it was a while ago. The OG Titans decide that their chat will go easier if they restore all of Xanthi and Donna's memories. So they do that. You know, again. Donna and Xanthi remember what good pals they used to be, and hug. Back on the other Phantasm Sphere, Vic trusses Athens up with some cables and worries aloud that once Athens wakes up, he might be able to take mental command of the ship on account of he's a Titan Seed, which again is a weird way to design a Titan Seed hunting ship, and also, how the fuck would Vic know about that? Donna and Xanthi didn't until Raven sensed it with her nonsense powers. Does Vic have nonsense powers? Dick is like, yeah, I was wondering about that too, you know, despite having no way of knowing about it. I figure, when he looks like he's gonna wake up, we'll just have Joey jump into him again. I'll tell Joey the plan when he gets back. He's in a different part of the ship checking in on Coriander. For some reason, watching an entire planet filled with sentient beings get annihilated in the blink of an eye seems to have really bummed her out. Women, am I right? When Joe finds Coriander, she is below decks, blasting magical space fire out into the cosmos in what seems like a very private act. Rather than alert her to his presence, Joe just stares creepily at her for several minutes, thinking about how attractive he finds her and how much he likes Renaissance art. It is super creepy. Eventually, Starfire notices Joe staring at her and is like, Oh, you startled me. I thought I was alone. I know you guys were worried about me, but I've got that whole witnessing a global genocide thing out of my system now. I mean, that was what, a half hour ago? I'm fine now. Would you mind sending Dick down here to see me? He's my boyfriend and I love him, you know. When Coriander mentions Dick, Joe gets a weird look on his face, but he does as she requests. On New Cronus, Donna and Xanthi are strolling around remembering how nice the place used to look compared to how shitty it looks now. I guess the place is falling apart because the Titan Seeds dying makes the OG Titans lose power and get old. Or maybe that was happening anyway, but either way, everybody seems pretty sad about it. Raven has a little chat with Coyus, the Titan who was Phoebe's widow. Also her brother, because the mythological Greeks roll that way, but that's a whole nother can of worms. Anyway, Coyus is pretty distraught about Phoebe's death, so Raven does her best to console him, telling the grieving deity that his wife-slash-sister died bravely and painlessly. She tactfully neglects to mention that she also had a Renfair cosplayer with a blonde perm inside of her at the time of her death, which is probably for the best. That sort of thing rarely goes over well. While Coyus and Raven are having their talk, the Phantasm Sphere holding the rest of the new Titans and a still-trust-up Athens with a Y is approaching New Cronus and preparing to land. As they near the small moon's orbit, they're ambushed by Sparta's forces. At this point, a whole bunch of shit happens all at once, and I'm not entirely sure what some of it is. But, as near as I can figure... Sparta's main warship sends out a tractor beam to hold the phantasm ball in place. At the same time, Athens, who had overheard Vic's earlier conversation about how being a titan seed, he might be able to take over the ship with his mind, stops playing possum and takes over the ship with his mind. Damn it, cyborg! 
Athens makes the ship use its alien boob factory looking interior to attack Dick, Cyborg, and Joey while simultaneously using the ship's exterior weapons, which I guess it has, to blow up as many of Sparta's spaceships as he can, which turns out to be quite a few. On the surface of New Cronus, the Titans, new and OG alike, are freaking out. The space battle above them is causing earthquakes for reasons that are unclear. The OG Titans decide to use their remaining power to try to pull the final sphere into their force field, but they get distracted because Sparta is now floating around in space, shooting laser blasts out of her fists at the force field. Starfire is pissed that Athens beat up her pals, so she beats him up. But once Athens is no longer paying attention to driving the Phantasm Sphere, it becomes easy pickings for Sparta's spaceships. Raven teleports herself onto the Sphere to try to rescue her pals, but as soon as she gets there, she falls over because stuff starts exploding. Dick recovers enough to join in the attack on Athens, but just then, a laser bolt hits the orb and the whole thing blows up. Huh. Sparta yells at her underlings that they fucked up big time, because she wanted Athens to be captured alive. Wait, she did? No, she didn't. If she did, then why would she blow up his planet when she thought he was still on it? Anyway, Donna watches in horror as she sees her friend's ship explode. Then, something else explodes, too. At least I think it does. I honestly do not know what happened on the last few pages there, but it was very pretty. To be continued. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty great, actually. Had a couple relaxing days away from usual stuff for a Thanksgiving holiday, and that's been nice. Yeah, it has been. I enjoyed my Thanksgiving time as well. I know this is going to be released in a couple weeks, but we are coming for me off of the heels of the now famous, I'm sure, lost episode of... Oh, the great tragedy of issue 51? Issue 51, yeah. Mm. Hi, this is Editor Hub here in the future. Just wanted to pop in and say, Oh, past Hub, you poor sweet summer child. Bold of you to assume the next episode wouldn't get lost as well. So, sorry about that, because, uh... It was probably my finest work. Well, I mean, the musical number, if nothing else. So <sighs> much time and preparation went into it. We both sang like angels and harmonized beautifully. I know. And just can never be recreated, so... It's a shame that it's gone forever. Say lovey. Yeah, all our brilliant insights. Lost, like, tears in heaven? No, that's a different thing. <laughs> what? You don't even like Eric. You dislike Eric Clapton. I actively dislike Eric Clapton even before his most recent bout of awfulness, yeah. Mm. What's the Blade Runner quote? Lost, like, tears in the rain? Oh, that's a Blade Runner thing? Yeah, you know, I saw the it's moon the, uh, stuff. I, the, I saw the... The flame that burns twice as bright lasts half as long. Mmm. That's yeah. the only Blade Runner quote that I can remember. Time to die. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And also, there's a turtle. Uh-huh. Why, why did you turn that turtle over? Yeah, be nice to a turtle. Ish. Come on. Uh, oh my. We're gonna have to talk about this comic at some point. Alright, well, 
may as well do it now. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? <sighs> My feelings are complicated. It was really engrossing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I say this about every comic these days, but it was really densely packed. And despite that, it was still pretty. Uh, it, I felt like it kept moving, kept things moving. Mm-hmm. Had probably the most compelling cliffhanger ending recently. Yeah, I would say that probably. I liked it a lot better than I liked the last issue, which I think you liked more. Mm-hmm. I agree. It felt like it kept moving in a way that for me, the last issue didn't. It is certainly less densely packed with exposition. There was a ton that I found both very confusing and very problematic about this comic book, and also just a bunch of stuff that I didn't like. But taking it as a whole first read-through, it wasn't that I didn't notice the things that I was like, oh, that's pretty fucked up, but I was at least involved enough in the story that I wanted to keep reading it, which is something that the last issue didn't have for me. And so I was encouraged by that a little bit. Yeah, and... I think this might be a case of a story that would have benefited from one decision maker who is going to pare things down because, again, we're running into, oh, this would be cool, this would be cool, this would be cool. So we've got myths and legends, we've got our usual superhero stuff, and now we've got this amazingly complicated space opera. I agree completely. And it was something that I really thought initially bringing George Perez back onto the book and having a second scripter involved in the decision making would help focus the story more and now reading this i don't know why i thought that because it's just another set of things and both perez and wolfman are at a point with their career and especially at a point with their career on new titans that i don't think barbara kiesel is saying no to them on anything or if she is they are not in a position where they have to listen so everything's going in and they're not keeping track of the things they said in the past, which is something that drives me absolutely crazy, especially if you are building a larger epic story. It's like Wolfman keeps setting up these gears and then giving them way too many teeth. Mm -hmm. And then it's not even a matter of, oh, those teeth aren't necessary. It's then in the next issue, he will put something else in place of the teeth. It's like, no, I didn't put the the teeth on that cog. I'm just putting a different cog where I said there was that cog before. And it just, it drives me nuts. I wish the story was a little bit pared down. I'm not averse to a complicated story, but if it is going to be complicated, it needs to be consistent. And it isn't. Yeah, I think the other thing too, like just from the perspective of, you know, somebody that's consuming media for fun, this this comic book for fun are probably not necessarily going to be reading it like we are for the show where right. we maybe i don't know what your process i think we talked about it before we read it through once for fun mm-hmm. and then for detail and then probably again for notes and this one i think i went through four times and still that last bit at the end when everything kind of comes to a head what i told myself to be able to enjoy it was like oh they're really capturing fog of war <laughs> Yeah. It's so fucking confusing. <laughs> it really is. It is so difficult to tell what is supposed to be happening. I think I figured some of it out, but as soon as I do, I'll go back and check and be like, no, that doesn't quite work either. The character Athens, too, in this 
gets such short shrift from this book and from everyone who interacts with him. I felt so bad for him. And just like, yeah, he's being kind of a dick, but I think it's justifiable. Yeah, he's not written in a way that gives the reader much latitude for sympathy or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, well, everybody's dead because he was a dick. But they're not. Like, his argument makes total sense, but it's the Titans that are telling him this, and we are very much from this comic book given the perspective that the Titans are right, and he's just being wrong and unreasonable for not listening to them immediately and believing them right off the bat with no evidence that all of his memories are false and that somebody that's not even them, that they have no connection to, is really the good guys in this who are behind everything. It doesn't make any sense, and it really drives home that they went into that without a plan. Corey, do you know what they needed? A project manager. And a localization engineer. <laughs> That's true, too. There was a lot lost in translation, cultural or otherwise. Mm -hmm. But, like, they show up on this planet without any understanding of how the planet will react to them being, without an argument in their mind as to how they are going to convince this person of something, and without really a person who can make a convincing argument on their team. They broke the teams up wrong to begin with. I feel like if you have Donna on one team, you have to have the empath, like, because Donna can communicate with the other Titan Seeds. She forms a telepathic bond with Xanthi. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who can form some kind of a bond with another person, and so you should put Raven on the other team. But they didn't, and because of that, an entire planet gets blown up, and they extend no sympathy whatsoever to the per the sole survivor of that planet. Yeah, I think Starfire... Yeah, man, there's just so much to talk about, but... Yeah, how do you process accidental genocide or planeticide or whatever? Starfire seems to be the only one, too, that's just like... Holy shit, you guys, this is fucked. I'm going to go take some time myself and blow things up to yeah. try and deal with Whereas it. Whereas Cyborg specifically is like, why are you being so belligerent? We just saved your life from that planet that just exploded. That we showed up and then some aliens showed up and then we fought those aliens and then the planet exploded. Yeah. Hey, we came to save you. Not our fault your planet blew up. Right. Why are you being so unreasonable that we came to fight a war on your land and then it caused the entire destruction of your land? We were there for your own good. Stop being such a dick, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what How says. is Cyborg U.S. foreign policy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't care for it, though. <laughs> I don't care for it either. It also totally reminded me of... A really fucked up thing that happened in Star Wars that was brought to my attention that I had really glossed over when I was a kid watching it, which is the way they treat him, it's the same way the movie treated Leia. Like, her entire planet and all of her friends and family and everyone she's ever known gets blown up by the Death Star. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon after that, she ends up on a starship with Luke and Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's no, like, counseling. There's no, like, her going through some shit. She's immediately cracking jokes. But also, once Obi-Wan Kenobi dies, she's, like, comforting Luke about that shit. Mm. Oh, the old man who you've known for a few days just died? You must be going through some real shit. Oh, by the way, my whole planet and everyone I've ever met just exploded. But, you know... You're the dude and the hero of the story, so you're the important one. Your feelings get centered. Mm -hmm. 
And that's kind of how the Titans are. It's like, no, their feelings are the ones that are important, not this dude. And also just very surface level read. Kind of fucked up that they made all of the people on that planet brown. Just as like almost shorthand for it, they are collateral damage and mm-hmm. acceptable collateral damage to an extent. Mm-hmm. Sad, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's some of my thoughts on this comic, but there's still so much more to it. Let's talk about Jericho going back to being a fucking creeper. Ah, I just wish I had the medieval poetry to tell Starfire how I feel. Yeah, as I'm watching her maybe space masturbate? Wow, that hadn't (laughs) occurred to me, but... She is by herself. He's watching her from above while she thinks she is alone. And she has this some kind of moment where she just blasts her space fire into the stratosphere. And then he says, oh, Joey, how long have you been watching? I, ellipses, was just releasing some tension. (laughs) Everything's all right now. Oh, that's funny. I didn't really read it that way, but I could see how you would. Either way, he is being a goddamn creeper. And I thought that was one of the dropped storylines that I was maybe okay with Mm -hmm. was Joey suddenly creeping on every lady in the book. But clearly he is not over his thing for Starfire, because we see when she goes to hang out with Dick, he makes some sad lemur eyes at the end of that interaction. Yeah, he's trying to grow out his mullet to impress her. (laughs) Just (laughs) so bummed she's not noticing. She doesn't even notice. I mean, like, he's a really nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Totally sensitive into the arts. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Nice guys finish last. Yeah. You want to talk about the beginning, about your favorite Teen Titan? (sighs) Yeah, Danny Chase is a real fucking piece of turd in this book. Never did it occur to me there would be a panel in which Speedy is interacting with somebody. (laughs) I'm like, Speedy is so dang reasonable. (laughs) I know what you mean. I want them to make Danny Chase hang out with Hawk. Just to see whose side I end up on. Right. It's like if you plant mint and blackberries in the same plot. <laughs> Fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the opening to the book was interesting. It is touching on a few different DC storylines that are going on at this time. Kind of a perfunctory, I think, nod to the invasion storyline, which was a giant company wide crossover where space aliens had decided that the Earth's superhero population proved a menace. So an alliance of aliens formed to invade Earth to neutralize all superheroes because they were a wild card, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was an okay story. I think it was most notable for me in that the story that Aqualad is actually engaged in on this, where he's in Antarctica, that's a tie-in to a Doom Patrol story, and a couple of Doom Patrol characters died in that story. And it basically wiped the slate clean on Doom Patrol so that they could start a new Doom Patrol series, which Grant Morrison wrote, which was very influential and a really cool series. Mm. Other than that, not a ton of blowback from the storyline for the DC Universe. I don't think it was super well received. I would be curious to reread it now. I hadn't realized when I read it the first time the main story arc. So it was three fairly large 
comic books that were a limited series called Invasion, and then 30 crossover books across every DC title, pretty much. I hadn't realized it was written by Bill Mantlo when it came out, and I think it was maybe his last published comic book work. Hmm. Certainly his last major one, and I think his only work for DC. So I would be interested to check that out with a fresh set of eyes. I wasn't super impressed by it the first time I read it, though. Mm. And not generally, I think, particularly well regarded as far as giant crossover events go. Yeah, seems like that would be a really challenging thing to do well with all the moving parts and all the history. Yeah, I think the idea behind it was between Crisis on Infinite Earths and then the Legends crossover, they had kind of established the new normal for the DC Universe. And this is like a year or so after that, and they were like, well, we got this fancy new universe, let's put it through its paces and try the big summer crossover event, which were really becoming more of a thing late 80s, 90s, get people who normally wouldn't pick up other books to try to collect all of them. So that's why it's in 30 different issues. Mm-hmm. I don't think for the most part it probably worked that well, but interesting idea. The other main DC storyline that it's tying in on, which I think you see nods to, is I think they're setting up the death of Jason Todd Hmm. storyline in this issue, and that's why Danny's not able to get in touch with him Hmm. after forgetting that Dick used to be Robin. Despite his canonical photographic memory. memory. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, is he back at Titan Tower using the computer there? Or is that just his fancy home office? I think he's back at the Titan Tower. I think he stormed off when everybody left. And then as soon as they were gone, he's like, fuck it, giant T-shaped hotel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I don't know that he has another home at this point. Like, his parents are always on the go doing super spy shit. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has his own apartment. No, he's just a kid. Yeah. And his uncle... If his uncle is Adrian Chase, World Force District Attorney, which I believe he is, is dead. So I don't think he has any place to stay other than the Titan Tower. Okay. I think when he stormed off, that was just like, I'm running away from home. I'm bringing this lunchbox and a sandwich and... My desire to kill people. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. What a fucking creep, man. He is, and it is frankly made creepier by the fact that George Perez draws him looking about eight years old in this Mm -hmm. issue. Yeah, it's unnerving. Mm -hmm. One thing that I did like, for the most part, I would quibble about maybe places five through eight on this list, but the ranking that the computer gives the backup titans start with Aqualad, number one, then Bumblebee. I think that's a pretty damn good start to the list. Sure. Then the Flash. I get it. He's the Flash. Mm-hmm. Then Golden Eagle. Then Hawk. Then Lilith. Then the new Robin, who's like 11. And then Speedy. I would maybe switch the places of, uh, let's say, Hawk. I would bump Lilith up to Golden Eagle's place and bump Hawk down to Robin's place. But other than that, pretty decent list. Not bad. Not bad. I was curious to get your feelings on Danny's feelings, or rather how he chose to describe the, uh, quote, B-list of, as uh, what was it, Quitters, Rejects, and Where Are They Nows? Yeah. I was like, dude, you just fucking got here, and you got a major dressing down from Nightwing. Mm-hmm. For being a murderer. So, maybe lighten up on people that just are doing other stuff. Yeah. Fuck you. That was my main thought on how he was assessing 
the reserve titans members yeah my notes said da, 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 asshole exclamation point fair mm. yeah i definitely did not care for that and you're right when he was talking with speedy i did find myself just being like i am really on speedy's side in this and i don't feel good about that yeah. no it was weird <laughs> yeah this is probably a problem with me <laughs> Like, if I'm agreeing with Speedy, there must be something wrong with me. Like, I must be turned around on this issue. Well, look at your choices. Yeah, that's fair. Ugh. There was another character who I typically do not side with, and I was frankly made a little bit uncomfortable by the fact that I felt a fair amount of sympathy for them, was Terry Long. We get his answering machine message where he wants to check in and Danny won't call him back to let him know what's going on. I didn't feel that much sympathy for him because A, he is Terry Long. Mm -hmm. And two, his answering machine message did kind of read like a Jack Norris origins. I don't understand the message. Where's my wife? Well, he didn't quite get to the where's my wife, but he's like, is anyone there? It's Terry Long. Where's Donna? I didn't understand her message. Come on, guys, pick up. I'm starting to get worried about my wife. Really seems like the next message is going to be, where's my wife? Yeah. Maybe three messages down if we're giving him some leeway. But that is like the moment in the biopic where like you see Jimi Hendrix walk by the pod shop and he's like, a guitar, eh? <laughs> yeah, and also... As we've discussed in the past, you know, time is somewhat fluid in the DCU, so I don't know. Could have been a day or two for Terry. Could have mm -hmm. been a few hours. Could have been like a week. <laughs> she's yeah. Just, she's just like, hey, where's, where is my wife? <laughs> she left me a phone message, but I didn't understand it. I got busy thinking about some paper I was maybe supposed to write. <laughs> I need her to write a paper I can plagiarize. Where is she? Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of Donna. Let's talk about the cover of this comic book. Very butt-centric, huh? It is. I, I was reading this on the couch uh, next to my partner, and I, I was like, ooh. And she's like, what? And I was like, take a look at this. And uh, her words were, Wonder Girl has an atomic wedgie. Yeah. It's it, like, it's an unfortunate... It seems as though, frankly, both her and Beast Boy were drawn nude and then colored in. And I feel like that's kind of the case often with superheroes. But in this, so much attention was clearly paid to their butts. I feel like, especially with Wonder Girl's butt, it was... I don't know who did the cover art. Was it It, it was Perez? Perez and... Gosh, I forget the name of the artist who he was working with on this. It's a painter. He didn't do a ton of comic book work. I mentioned it actually in the makeup episode for the one that I erased. Mm. But uh, he's probably best known for painting the cover to the Infinity Gauntlet series. Okay. So I, it's one of those things I got the sense of, you know, I haven't been an illustrator for a long, long time, but I used to draw a lot. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you, you get into this thing of, oh, okay, no, I just need to put some more shading here and do this and do it, like, and trying to rescue something. And mm -hmm. then it becomes really overwrought. Yeah. And uh, we got a we got an overwrought butt situation. Yeah. It really does look like she's wearing chaps. And like the butt is just cut out. Mm -hmm. And it's very like both her and Gar very, very small butts. Yeah. Like not what I would think of as an even healthy amount of 
body fat that these characters might normally be rendered with. Yeah. Not rendered, that sounds like... Like you would be like making candles out of yeah, your butt? No. Yeah, That they'd be, you know, they're usually drawn a little more fleshed out. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, but no, there's just, there's no there there. No. No, I did not care for it. <laughs> which is too bad, because it could have been a really, really cool cover. Mm-hmm. But, uh, just, you, you look at it, really, it's a, it's the butt cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No buts about it. <sighs> I'll allow it. I talked about Wolfman being inconsistent with his details. He doesn't even get the racist portmanteau name of the bad guy planet right in this. Previously, it has been established, and I believe it will be in the future again, as Sinrian Iraq or Syrians. <laughs> Basically, a mushed together Syria, Iran, Iraq, mm-hmm. but we see that Athens calls it. Syrac mm-hmm. gets the point across the same way, mm-hmm. but uh, come on, man, show some consistency in your racism, maybe, or make it not racist. I would also be okay with that change. Yeah, another thing which was very inconsistent was the handling of Jericho's powers in this, and I feel like that's never been consistently handled by this book, but here we have a different example of it and a different kind of example of it. And one that frankly didn't make a ton of sense to me. He takes over Athens' body, but then Athens can still talk. And Joey has to use sign language from within the body. We've seen that variation of it before, not consistently. When he first demonstrated his power, it was, oh, finally I can talk because I'm in this body. And he would just like wear the person around like a flesh suit and he would talk. But we have seen it a fair amount of times that he takes over the body and you can hear the person saying, I don't know why I'm behaving this way. Why am I hitting myself? Why am I hitting myself? Mm-hmm. Which can be fun. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that in this, but also at one point, Athens is like, he could take over my body, but he can't control the suit that I'm wearing. And then clearly he is controlling the suit. And I couldn't make sense of what was even supposed to be happening in that exchange. Could you? Uh, no, not okay. so much. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why they mentioned. I think, again, it was one of these could have benefited from some editing. Like, I've got this awesome war suit that does all this cool shit. It's got a little propeller on the bottom and a right. thing and a does this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh, never mind. But, like, clearly, like, he is wearing the war suit. So Jericho can control the war suit because he is making the character do things that he doesn't want to do. He makes him fly in and rescue Starfire. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, for a second, maybe he couldn't control it. So if they had even had something like, it's telepathically linked with me, like the ship ended up being. So I can control it even when he's controlling me, even though that doesn't really make sense. It just, it flummoxed me. That's fair. Not as much as that scene, which we already alluded to briefly at the end. I could not figure out what was going on in that war scene. Let's just take a look at it. It's on page 25. Like, they're circling New Cronus. Mm -hmm. They're about to land. Athens takes over the Phantasm Sphere and starts driving it. Mm -hmm. And then Sparta starts blowing up New Cronus. And her ships start attacking the Phantasm Sphere. And he's blowing up 
people with the phantasm sphere because he's controlling it. And then Starfire comes in. What what did you think was happening there? So Sparta is trying to stop the sphere with Athens from getting to New Cronus so that she can basically like capture him and bring him to her side. And she gives terrible direction to her military crew. I think in one panel she says, shoot them, shoot them until they stop. Do whatever you have to do. And then in the next panel she's like, you fools, you've shot them too much and now they're blowing up. That was confusing, but also the whole struggle between Starfire and Athens, like... She's, I think, trying to wrest control of the ship from Athens so that they can go down to New Kronos and then they can give him his memories back and everything will be cool. And then she gets beat up and then Dick tries to come in and save the day and he gets beat up and then raven beams to the ship to try and sort things out and then the ship gets ostensibly blown up by sparta okay that's that's where we're left to believe it's it's ended it was the struggle between starfire and athens because it looks like she's trying to stop him from blowing up the sparta ships which he's doing a very good job of doing But I think she's talking about, did you kill them? Damn you, Athens. Damn you. She's talking about the Titans there because he beat them okay. Yeah, because he caused the ship to attack the rest of the Titans and like electrocuted Cyborg. And so she's like, you killed all my friends, you fucker. I'm going to kick your ass. It was a very confusing fight scene and a few very confusing fight scenes. It reminded me of, do you remember watching Dungeon Siege in the Name of the King? The really terrible Juve Bowl movie that had an like A-list cast for no reason. I am a wizard. <laughs> Ray Liotta as a wizard was a fucking revelation in that movie. <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a wizard. <laughs> to me, being wizard was better than being president of the United States. Yeah. Yeah, that was a confusing movie. But specifically the battle scenes in that movie, they did the thing where they crossed the plane. Where, like, you see characters running in one direction, and then the camera shoots them from the other direction. So the geometry of the battle doesn't make any sense. Because you see the the same shot of characters moving in one direction, and then you see them from a different angle, and it looks like they're moving the other direction. It felt like that was happening in this fight scene. It was really difficult to tell what was happening inside the ship versus what was happening outside of the ship, whether people were facing up or down. Like you said, it could make sense if it's a fog of war, if that was an intentional choice, but there's no indication that that was an intentional choice. It just seemed like it was too much all at once, and it was confusing, and I think that would be in line with this comic book in general. Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary of it. And the other thing that was disturbing to me was the body count, the sheer amount of death in this issue. So I know, like, aliens don't count. Like, it's usually fine if an alien or two gets killed in these stories, I guess. Right. But we have an entire planet that just got vaporized. And then we have the Titans piloting the sphere destroy an entire war star, whatever that is, part of sparta's like armada yeah which ostensibly is like you know sparta at one point says like i could feel the screams of my thousands of dying troops or something yeah like holy shit the titans just murdered i mean i guess it's not murder if it's a war but yeah but it's still not great it's still something that should have an impact like 
We saw Dick yelling at Danny in the last issue for being cavalier about taking lives or not realizing that it was a serious and significant thing that was happening when he killed those invading aliens. And then we see this book take the exact opposite stance. We see an entire planet be wiped out, and there is the barest of lip service paid to the idea that that is a big deal. And then, yeah, we see the Titans kill an entire warship full of people. And, eh, whatever. Yeah, it was jarring. It really was. And I I don't want to harp on it too much, but, like, really the lack of empathy that is extended to Athens, who has just seen his entire planet explode. A group of people show up on his planet, start fighting a war with a different peoples, and his entire planet is collateral damage. And the fact that he is pissed off about that and doesn't particularly like the people who, from his standpoint, instigated this war and have not really offered a coherent alternate explanation for what just happened is so shitty. I know, they're just like, hey man, come with me to this place and um, and we'll give you your memories back. It's gonna blow your mind. So, cool? Yeah. From his point of view, he doesn't have any missing memories. And they specifically show up and they'll be like, hey, we can introduce you to the people who raised you. It's like, the people who raised me are dead. Or what are you, some fucking kind of like shyster seance, dude? Are you like Jonathan Edwards or whatever that cold readings guy was? Mm. Was his name Jonathan Edwards? I do not know. Or is he just the vice presidential candidate who turned out to be a real turd? It might not be mutually exclusive. I don't know. Oh, man. Maybe that was the same guy. Mm. Just a a couple of other minor points that came up. When they land on New Cronus, Beast Boy says it smells like four-day-old pizza crusts. Mm -hmm. Four-day-old pizza crusts don't smell that bad. It smells like pizza crust. It smells like pizza crust, but also it's it's not like it's going to get moldy in that amount of time. It's just a little bit desiccated. It smells like stale bread. Mm -hmm. It's his fucking problem. Well... It's, it's, it's the same shit that we always see from him. He doesn't understand the structure of a joke. Or an analogy. Nope. I also don't understand why the Titans can now understand what the aliens are saying when they couldn't before. There are possible explanations for that, but none is given. It's just one of them says, Hey, we can understand the aliens now, but the other aliens can't understand the aliens. Why not? Like, why can you and why can't they? There's no attempt to even explain that. It's just like, hey, I just noticed that this thing that doesn't make sense is happening. Just uh, figured I'd point it out. Bye. Yeah, I read that and I was like, I, I think I just shrugged. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Let's keep going. We'll get a lot more comic to read. Yeah. But I, I feel like there was a lot more of that in this issue than there generally is. And I think you're right. It is maybe a too many cooks situation. But it it seems like there is a lack of impulse control on the part of the creative staff and a real inability to rein that in on the part of the editorial staff. You you actually get some reference to that, I think, in the letters column. I think it may have actually been the last issue, but there is a letter where somebody writes in, hey, is this going to happen with this character? And then somebody else writing, hey, is this going to happen with this character's costume? And the response from the editor, Barbara Kiesel, was really impossible to say. We have a very enthusiastic new artist, and if he decides he wants something, it's going to happen. And then the answer to the other one was, 
Tough to say, we have a very enthusiastic, almost new writer. So clearly a little irony there, because mm -hmm. he's been the writer for a long time. And so if he says he wants to do this, it's going to happen. And I think that was like a little bit like tongue-in-cheek and... I mean, both in calling them new artists and stuff like that. But I think that is kind of what's happening in this storyline. Yep. Everybody's ideas, whether they contradict one another or not, are just thrown into the mix. Anything else you want to talk about before we get into the minutia? Oh, there's plenty, but I'm confident it will come up in the minutia. Yeah, I think it probably will. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Why don't we start with a uh, timestamp, as all the other categories were more challenging. Mm-hmm. What timestamps were you able to find in this issue? I found Danny Chase referencing the show ALF. He talks about the Titans being off on planet Melmac. I caught that one, too. Mm -hmm. We also have the in-universe timestamps of the invasion and the death of Jason Todd being alluded to. We also have some very direct timestamps in Beast Boy referring to Sparta as Miss Bad Seed 1988. Mm -hmm. And the opening panel has a newspaper that says December 1988. Yeah. That opening page was great, by the way. I feel like we spent a lot of time on the criticism, but mm -hmm. um, we'll get to that in panels. But that, sure. the opening page was really nice with the newspaper. The opening page was really nice, and overall, the art was very beautiful, even if the storytelling in it didn't always make the most sense. Mm -hmm. And if the cover had too many butts. Yeah. I think it had a fine number of butts. It was the focus on the butts, I mm -hmm. think, that was a bit much. Yeah. I also had a uh, Don Pardo reference, which is not a great timestamp because the guy had a forever career. Yeah. Uh, 70 years or something. But I think what Danny Chase was referencing was, you remember that Weird Al song, I Lost on Jeopardy? Of course I remember the Weird Al song, I Lost on Jeopardy. So that had Don Pardo as the announcer. That came out in 1984, so it's a little bit loose, but I do think he's referencing Weird Al in 3D's record. Mm, I think you're probably right. Do you remember who he lost to on Jeopardy? No, I don't. It was a plumber and an architect, both with a PhD. Dang. Tough crowd. I noticed those timestamps as well. I didn't go with the Don Pardo one because of the length of his career, but I think you're right. He probably is referencing the Weird Howl album in 3D. <laughs> I also had a timestamp that you wouldn't have seen because it is an ad that is in the comic book. There aren't very many ads in these, but they have started having some not quite technically in-house ads in this volume of Teen Titans, despite it being direct distribution. And when I say not quite house ads, they are for other Warner Brothers owned properties. Because Warner Brothers was, I think, had the same owner as DC. In early 89, there was a solidification of the merger between the two companies in a way that I don't really quite understand. But regardless, there is an ad for the biography of U2 that is called Unforgettable Fire. But the ad reads, meet the band that made music matter again. Oh, U2. 
they're fine, but come on, really? Yeah, but I think that does put this as a pretty direct timestamp that it is this era of U2. U2 always had that level of self-importance, I feel like, but the rest of the world giving them that level of importance, I think is a pretty much between rattle and hum and Akhtung baby type of thing. Mm. And I think it's illustrative of how the media was giving them that level of import during that era that I know their discography to that extent and I have never owned any of their albums. Dang. Oh, I guess technically I own that one that Apple put on my phone. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You ever owned a U2 album? Uh, No, never owned one. I think I made a tape of... I borrowed War. That was War. Was the one with the kid's face on it? I don't know. My sister had a cassette tape of Actung Baby, actually, because that was the era when we were getting a lot of cassette tapes through Columbia House for that one cent offer oh, thing. I still owe those guys so much money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but James B. Slade does. <laughs> Jim! Yeah, I had a fake ID with that name, and I also had a little uh, run-in with Columbia Brothers under that name. Columbia Brothers? Was that what it was? Columbia House. House. There was, was a e- house BMG in- was one, and Columbia House was the uh, I don't other. remember which one it was, but both me and my... I think Meg used her real name. She was oh. a good kid. Ugh. Rookie. Yeah. So, BMG, if that's your real name, if you're listening, go find Big Jim. Yeah, wherever he is. Guy's license said he could drive a school bus. He could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Corey, who did you have as your president of the drama club in this issue? Boy, so president of the drama club, often somebody who is, you know, maybe overacting. Mm-hmm. There was so much emotionally charged stuff happening in this issue that it was really hard for me to find somebody that I felt was overacting based on everything that was going on. And so I thought maybe first Starfire for needing to go privately space masturbate or something, but... I ultimately wound up going with what I think is a pretty severe coloration issue, and that's that Beast Boy is so freaked out by what's going on, his eyebrows and his hair turn blue for Fair a couple enough. pages. I missed that. What page was that on? 22. Oh. In my copy in, in that panel. I guess you could also maybe hand it to the Titans. They look pretty freaked out on that panel, but... Well, they just came down with a terminal case of old. Mm-hmm. Kind of all of a sudden, I think. There are a lot of possible options in this book, I think. I went with Cyborg just for the extent to which he was centering his own emotions after Athens had just had his whole planet blow up. Like, he was the most vocal about the, like, you shut up, you jerk, just shut up. Mm -hmm. It's like, No, he really, like, rose to the the bait, so to speak, where Athens was understandably pissed off about his planet blowing Uh up, and he's like, I'm going to rip out all your hearts and shit down your necks, or whatever it is people say. And Cyborg's like, no, we're going to do that to you. Yeah. Athens. Yeah. It's your fault. Your whole planet would be around if you weren't a jerk, which is not true. Like, there's, there's nothing to back up that statement. No. Like, that it is his fault that his planet got destroyed. But Cyborg still makes it because he's upset, and... That is very overly dramatic and entirely unfair. Yeah. But there were a lot of people I could have given it to. I thought about giving it to uh, Hyperion and Thea. They're the only Titans that get close-ups. And I think probably spent a fair amount of power to be like, yeah, we're old, but look how pretty we used to be, huh? Mm -hmm. 
That seems pretty dramatic. But yeah, I ultimately gave it to Vic on this one. That's fair. Thank you. Corey, let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. Wow. In this issue, what band names were you able to find in the text? We'll start with this one. I don't know what they sound like exactly. I don't know, some sort of like maybe a acoustic ensemble does maybe like old timey sounding music. Phosphorescent Heart. Oh, Phosphorescent Heart is good. Thank you. I like that a lot. Well, why are they old timey? Because phosphorescent just sounds like phosphate. I don't know. It just, I, it just seemed like uh, there's a banjo in there somewhere. All right. I can see that. Could go the other way with it, too. I mean, it could be like science like fiction EDM music. EDM type stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see either or one science of those. fiction music, as some sure. people call EDM. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they listen to in the future. Yeah. The far-flung future of the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's an excellent choice. Phosphorescent Heart is good. I had, I don't think I would like this band very much, but a four-day-old pizza. <laughs> it sounds like a jam band, I think, maybe. Like a leftover salmon uh, I was situation. just going to say, yeah, they're pretty sure they played with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, probably opened for Colonel Bruce Hampton's Aquarium Rescue Unit. Man, second time that guy's come up on this show. <laughs> that we remember. <laughs> so I, I think that's an okay band name. Another option that I had that I like a little bit better is Athens with a Y. Oh, pretty good. It sounds like one of those bands that I would assume was a metal band, and then I listened to them and were like, oh, I think they're just like regular kind of boring rock. You know what I mean? Like uh. one of those like like Nazareth. I thought they would be so badass. They sound like that's going to be a metal name. Uh-huh. Not really. No. But they're fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they are what would have been considered hard rock in the mid to late 70s, Athens. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And to us now, it sounds like a little easy. Yeah. Like when I listened to Blue Oyster Cult. And I was like, I had heard that these guys were more badass than that. Like, I like some of their songs. I like their radio hits, basically. But like the rest of it, I was like, it's not bad, but it's just I thought it would be tougher. I feel like I've listened to a lot of their records looking for another Godzilla. Yeah. And there's not really one there. I don't think so. I guess another example would be like a lot of Alice Cooper's music. Like, Mm. I I like it, and some of it's really cool, but I always expect him to be a little bit more metal than he is. Uh And it's like, some of it at least, is kind of borderline show tunes-y. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he likes a good show tune. Yeah, it seems like a real theater kid. Mm -hmm. He'd be a president of the drama. Yeah, absolutely, with the makeup. Mm Mm-hmm. What other band names did you find? The other one I had, these guys are probably definitely EDM or some flavor of it, called uh, Crystalline Star. Crystalline Star is not bad. Thank you. I can see that. Or Stars, sorry. Crystalline Stars. Yeah. Mike, you could go either way. Those are both options. Yeah, that's true. Because if it is Stars in the book, you could just uh, stop reading when you get to the R. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Stars in the book. But I, I think all of the band members like to think of themselves as... Their own individual stars. Yeah. Mm. I had Phase Into Space being one. <laughs> Far out. Yeah, definitely a new age, perhaps space rock, which is definitely a genre, mm-hmm. as we have been informed oh, by yeah. our listeners. Yep. So these are all possibilities. Which one do you want to go with? 
Okay, let's just quick rundown. We had phosphorescent heart. Mm-hmm. Four-day-old pizza. Four-day-old pizza definitely played with the string cheese incident. Oh, sure. Athens with a Y. Mm. Okay, the disappointing, <laughs> not quite hard rock sound of Athens. Yeah, the metal if you grade it on a curve sounds of Athens. <laughs> okay, and uh, crystalline stars, mm-hmm. EDM. And phase into space. Huh. I think my favorite's probably phosphorescent heart. Who do you think out of these, though, has the best chance of grabbing the attention of people on Twitter who are voting? Oh, gosh. Really tough to tell. Frankly, I did not think the goth marching band, a thousand other failures, would do as well as they have. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, you can try to give the people what they want, but I think we just have to give what our choice is and then leave it up to the people in their infinite wisdom to make the right decision. That's big of you. If you're cool with phosphorescent heart, I think it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah, for me it comes down to that or Athens with a Y. Yeah. We um, haven't done a single name one for a, a super long time, have we? No. Maybe we should try that because we always have these long-ass multisyllabic names. Maybe we should just go Athens with a Y. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's go Athens with a Y. See how it does. Yeah. You know, make it easy for people. I think that's probably the right call. Athens with a Y it is. I will put that up on Twitter. All right. I think they're British. Athens with a Y? Yeah. They might be. Is that where Nazareth's from? I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know any Nazareth songs. Maybe they're better than I think they are. I yeah. doubt it. I think it's one of those, like, like I thought Molly Hatchet would be so fucking tough. Well, they had a Boris Vallejo painted record cover with a dragon. I know, and they're fine, but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, it's like... It's uh, it's like this isn't... I thought they would sound like fucking Venom. When we... uh, We've had this conversation about a hundred times, probably on the show, but... You remember the first time you heard The Grateful Dead? Oh, boy. We've definitely talked about that (laughs) on the show, but yeah. As I... This does not fit with the... The skull iconography. I know. You take a band that you only know by their iconography, and it's specifically, if you look at them in the 80s, they have skulls all over their stuff, and then the first song of theirs that you hear is Uncle John's Band. And you're like, what What? the fuck just happened? They get this badass name, Grateful Dead. Uh Doesn't sound anything like Iron Maiden. Nobody driving no train on cocaine. (laughs) Sorry, it's uh, Casey Jones, not Uncle. John's Tavern? Cabin? Band. Band. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that's... (laughs) Yeah, Harriet Beecher Stowe's classic book, Uncle John's Cabin. (laughs) Well, Corey, these are probably the categories that gave me the most difficulty in this book, but we gotta get to it sooner or later. So, every issue of a Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Beast Boy, and who was your Aqualad? Oh boy. Let's start with the bad news, I guess. So, if we go with the narrative that we've been handed, the baddest Titan is Athens with a Y because he's ostensibly responsible for destroying his whole planet, but I think we can argue against that. Yeah, it is very difficult to make the argument that he is responsible for his planet's destruction stick. At 
worst, he is overly isolationist in his policy. But we are given the hint that there are reasons for that. It seems as though his people have been invaded before and didn't much care for it. So they have set up very firm boundaries as to who is and who is not allowed to land on their planet. And the Titans violated that. They're in violation of local law. We can relitigate that all day. We're both in agreement that it's not Athens with a Y. No, it is not, even though that is what this comic book would like us to choose if the comic book was aware of <laughs> what we were doing. Yeah. So I didn't know that ultimately was not what I went with. Um, had a bunch of runners ups. I really didn't like uh, DFC. No. Talking shit about the so-called B-list Titans. You I he do, was... do not denigrate Aqualad on my watch. I had him as a very strong contender for a worst Titan. I had another runner up, which was Beast Boy for ruining a really nice moment between Wonder Girl and, and Xanthi with a creepy like, hey, how do I get a hug like that? Yeah. Thing. But ultimately, I went with Sparta for giving terrible contradictory instructions to her war machine of yep. destroy them wait you've destroyed them <laughs> yeah even if you were going like who is doing a good job not who is or is not explicitly evil in this book sparta is a very strong contender i went ultimately with dick he is the team leader everyone on his team does a terrible job they did not hire a localization engineer to make them aware mm. of the customs of the place that they were about to be trying to communicate with. And I'm giving them a lot of leniency in calling what they did an attempt at communication. No plan going into that. And he's the team's strategist. And they all did a bad job on his little sphere. I think his little sphere of people did the worst job. And he is in charge of them. So he did the worst. I also had backups for Danny fucking Chase, Joey being a goddamn creeper and pulling a fucking Edward from Twilight and just watching Starfire not sleep in this case, but you don't just sneak up and creep on somebody when they're space masturbating and then say, oh, I wish I could use words and pictures like a Renaissance artist. The greatest of artists, I guess there are. For being an artist and thinking that that is when people used words and pictures the best was the Renaissance. There's some good pictures there, but look at what they thought cats looked like. Look at what they thought babies looked like. Yeah, little old people. Yeah. Big heads. Mm-hmm. Small hands. Yeah. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Don't care for it. Bad job, Jericho. So he's for your thinking choice. That's great. No, I did ultimately go with Dick, but man, Jericho, the more I talk about it. Mm-hmm. The more I think it's weird that he thinks it's wonderful to draw weird-looking cats. You know, that's it's funny because pivoting to best, to who is the Aqualad this issue, all the stuff that you mentioned, again, this comic frames it in such a way that we are supposed to think that Dick is the best because he came up with the plan that said, hey, Joey, go hop in Athens' body so we can get out of here and then save Starfire and everything. And that's that I think we're supposed to read that as like, oh, he did. A, he made the best of a bad situation. Yeah. I, I'm on the same page with you. I, I think he, he didn't. But that's right. that's I think how we're supposed to feel. So that left me then with the choice of like, who did the least <laughs> harm, <laughs> like the least of anything. Right. right. And I have two choices. I think my winner is 
probably going to be Raven because there was a scene in which she told Koyas about the death of Phoebe and how she went out and basically offered him some some solace. And that was a pretty thoughtful. That was very part. nice of her. My runner up is Xanthi just for being so chill. Yeah, I had Xanthi as my choice. <laughs> Uh, he didn't really do that much, but I like Xanthi. And so I had Xanthi as my choice. My backup was Aqualad. I didn't ultimately give him the nod because the mission that he was on did result in the death of a couple of Doom Patrol members. Mm -hmm. At least one Doom Patrol member, I think Celsius, died in the issue that he was crossovering in. But I had a friend uh, who was named Faith, and they were going through some rough stuff. and. I was talking with them about it, and uh, they were saying they were upset at their parents, because why would you name something Faith if you didn't want it to be tested? Oof. And I feel like, why name your team Doom Patrol if, uh, yeah. if you're not expecting the worst to a certain extent? So I don't really blame Aqualad for that one, but uh, yeah, I gave it to Xanthi. He's just got a really good attitude. He, I think, tries to... It's not passive-aggressive, because he's not being aggressive at all, but he tries to, like, do some, like, conversational judo on Beast Boy, I think, when Beast Boy's being a total dick, and just, like, change the topic enough and be like, it must be really wonderful for you to be able to change shapes. Mm -hmm. And he just has such a good attitude about everything, and he's fucking adorable. I just love Xanthi. I love him, too. There's, I wrote down one of the things that he said since we don't have the steel pie in this, but I still just, like, the way that he describes his emotion, it's after he and Donna have had their memories restored of their, you know, somewhat idyllic childhood with, mm -hmm. the, with the Titans, and he says to her, Troy, the feelings overwhelm, my eyes fill, my fur tingles. Mm -hmm. Pretty Aww. great. Even his fur tingles, that's so cute. That does remind me, though, and I, I don't want to keep dwelling on the negative of this, but one of the other inconsistencies in the plot of this book was in the last issue, interacting with Donna restored all of Xanthi's memories. And in this issue, no, it just some of the feelings returned. Mm -hmm. And in the issue before that, interacting with Phoebe restored all of Donna's memories. Like she said, all of my memories, I have them again. They're rushing back. And then in this issue, oh no, that didn't do that. They need to have their memories restored by the Titans again. Mm -hmm. It was very frustrating to me. Yeah, no, they did walk it back to be like, well, actually, no, it was more like feelings, fragments. Yeah, it was know? some of them, but that was not what was explicitly stated in the previous issue. And so, boo. Yeah, my less than photographic memory has come to my aid throughout this <laughs> entire <laughs> series. Oh, boy. Me and my Danny Chase mind. Oh, no. Corey, I think we should probably take this party to the Bozone. What instance... Ah, oh. <laughs> What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to highlight? I think you maybe gave it away a little bit early, but... Oh, my. I changed the air horn for you. I accidentally like changed one. mine. Was that a duck? It just said the word ham. <laughs> I was trying See, to not so easy, is it? You start messing with these. There you go.
Wow. Well, that's the old one you like. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so good, that echolocation. But as that air horn or that person saying ham and that, I don't know, angry duck followed by echolocation informs us, we do have a natty bee in this issue. Yes, we do. It's rather an unfortunate one. I believe it is Cyborg referring to Athens. Mm-hmm. But he says, I want this bozo to shut up before I rip out his heart or hearts or whatever he has. Boo. There you have it. Boo indeed, but also Natty B. Yep. Can't be mad at that. Nope. Other than that, fair amount of insults going around in this book, starting with Danny fucking Chase, referring to Speedy as both Arrowhead. Not a real thing. Nope. And puke face. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Pretty gross. And he also does call Speedy a third-rate Robin Hood. He gets cut off before he finishes saying it, but I think it's pretty clear where he's headed. Mm-hmm. Definitely an ouchie, because it also uh, gets a little second-hand burn-in on uh, Green Arrow, I think. I, I, I think Green Arrow would be probably a second-rate mm-hmm. Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Which leads Speedy a third-rate Robin Hood. So, ouch. Also referring to Aqualad and the other reserve titans as quitters, rejects, and who knows where they are nows. Man, fuck that kid. Yeah, I had I had those too. Also on page 19, I believe, Beast Boy, I think, refers to somebody as Crap Face. Oof. Which, pretty rough. So, in part of that same diatribe that Cyborg is, is hurling at Athens, he also, I think, calls him Frog Death? I don't get that. Did, did you get that? No, that did not make sense to me. Me either. It does seem like it is an insult. Was he supposed to be saying breath, maybe? Frog breath? Is that like, it still doesn't make sense, but... It makes more sense to say frog breath than frog death. Yeah. What would kill a frog? Slowly increasing water temperature. Sure. Um, a, explosives. A truck. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. he's calling him a truck. Yeah. Maybe uh, he's saying that in his war suit, he looks like one of the trucks from the video game Frogger. An alligator? Alligator would kill a frog, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even think twice about it. Probably a heron. Mm-hmm. The uh, fast food franchise owner from the first Muppets movie. Mm-hmm. A Cajun, in general. Justin Wilson would kill a frog. <laughs> oh, he absolutely would. I guarantee he would. <laughs> oh, no. Cayenne pepper. Yep. So he's calling him a real Justin Wilson. Weird. Yeah, I wouldn't consider that an insult. No, he seems like a nice person with suspenders. Yeah, fam- famous chef. Sold the hell out of some ruffles. Mm-hmm. Bad job, cyborg. Boo. He was also in contention for my uh, Beast Boy in this issue. Justin Wilson? No, no, cyborg. Oh. Justin Wilson, always in contention for my Aqualad. Okay. Cayenne peppercorn. I know. Onions. Yeah. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most worthy of note? Well, since we just talked about it, the uh, Mack truck look of Athene's war suit. Yeah, pretty good. Not anything revolutionary, I guess, but good sci-fi armor stuff. Yeah, the one quibble that I would have with it from a design standpoint is having it have snowboard feet. Uh, You see that the feet are welded together on a little stand, uh, it makes him look 
like maybe a non-articulated action figure mm-hmm. type of thing, mm-hmm. like Ram Man, mm-hmm. kind of, as opposed to the other Masters of the Universes who had separate legs. Mm-hmm. Seems like it would hamper his mobility. Yeah. I had Sparta noted, particularly on page 15. She's got a lot of, like, goth rings on, like the rings that are like little cuffs that are linked to other rings. Mm -hmm. She has a very ornate hat that is like part crown, part like alien beer helmet. Looks like it's got little straws coming down. Maybe uh, maybe she's got a couple of little jars of some nectar. Mm. Maybe some mead or something, and that's why she's getting so kooky. Space mimosas. Uh-huh, uh-huh, but she's had a few too many. And in addition to that, she is also wearing a, like, 80s power suit, I feel like, that has little shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, a white blouse under it. It's just like, well, she is just going for all of the trappings of power. The uh, the 80s businesswoman, the beer hat, and <laughs> the crown, and the goth rings. Just throwing it all out there. Complicated look. Kind of a George Perez signature look, I would think, in that it looks pretty cool when he draws it, but I feel like if anyone else was given the task of recreating that outfit, it would be a goddamn nightmare for them to draw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Complicated, but she pulls it off. Mm-hmm. On that same page, I one of the other fashions I noted was uh, there's a character in the background on her ship that's like the one fancy alien on Sparta's ship, and uh, he or she's got, they've got a like a gold suit oh yeah kind of dressed for no reason like a roman centurion Hmm. do we have uncredited guest scripter jm dematteis working on this issue well you know what in the opening page all the guns were purple and on the opening page we see the justice league international on the uh front of that newspaper that book was written by jm dematteis Had to get in a Roman centurion somewhere, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Typical JM. Xanthi had a nice blue skirt when he was a kid. That's yeah. nice. I had the, the partial united colors of Benetton with the robes of the Titans. Oh, the the ancient Titans. The ancient Titans. Yeah, on the cover. Up, but they don't have all the colors, so it's only like a partial rainbow. No, no, their ad wouldn't have like a, I don't know... None making out with a shepherd. <laughs> Wasn't that like a Benetton thing? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I just, I meant just, in, you it, know. It was like Kashi Good Friends cereal before there was Kashi Good Friends cereal boxes. What? what? <laughs> I feel like the, okay. There's the, a nun making out with like a sheep herder on the Kashi cereal box? No, just that they seem to be really interested in putting like multi-ethnic couples on their branding that their relationship is somewhat ill-defined. Mm. I feel like uh, Good Friend Serial and uh, 80s Benetton ads had that in common. Okay. Yeah, no, I just meant they had, like, green and yellow and red right. and blue robes. Yeah, yeah. They're colorful. They're, they're very colorful, you're right. I wonder why uh, Oceanus and Tethys are fighting. All the other guys that have the same color get to sit next to each other. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Guess not all is well under the sea. Um, no. I was told that the seaweed was always sweeter in somebody else's lake. <sighs> Guess it's not always better down where it's wetter. Oh, that sounds filthy. <laughs> 
That Sebastian the Crab is a goddamn little freak. Oh, shit. That's, you know, there's a store on Division that sells... The Wet Spot? The Wet Spot. Yeah, they're... Funny they're, name. Yes. And that, they sell fish. Yeah. It, it is a tropical fish store called The Wet Spot. Uh, well, that's all the fashion we have yep, in this that's issue. It. Corey, what was your favorite panel in this issue? Page 11, when Athens' planet explodes, was sad, but, mm-hmm. ah, what a panel. The actual planet explosion wasn't my favorite on that page. I agree that was really well done, but the lead up to that, where there's like this hypersonic bomb or whatever that's about to activate, it's so cool looking. Yeah, I don't know how they did that. It seemed like it would be it, a real pain. To it it is it is beautifully drawn, beautifully inked, and I think uh, the colorist Adrian Roy gets a lot of credit for how cool that looks. But right before the Titans jump into their that's a phantasm ball, but when they jump into it, it's a little silvery space vagina. Mm-hmm. It's like the hyperdrive effect in Star Wars, kind of. But there's just like dashes of white streaking across everything as there's this really dynamic action scene. The action itself is a little bit confused, but I don't even give a shit because it is so cool looking. And it's all done in like blues and teals and looks cool. Yeah. Also, though, it's really confusing to me that if Sparta's hench aliens have a little bomb that can destroy an entire planet, why is this the first time it's showing up? I don't know. seems like they would have maybe used that on Earth when they're trying to kill the Titans. Mm -hmm. And if you don't care about collateral damage, why isn't that your first move? Right. Yeah. I agree. Another thing that didn't make a ton of sense to me in this. Mm -hmm. Good panel, though. Great panel. And great series of panels there, really. Other panels that I really enjoyed, we talked about it before, but the opening page where there is the newspaper with the headline of Invasion... It's just a really cool layout of a newspaper. You see that the newspaper is lying on an abandoned basketball court. Actually, the writing around that is really cool, I think. Silence, not the white noise of a city. Silence, blaring horns, raised voices, and grinding machinery so prevalent they're unconsciously acknowledged and ignored. But the total silence, the silence of things abandoned, the silence of an invasion. Damn. That's really nicely written. You see a close-up of the abandoned basketball court, and that's where you see the newspaper and the images of the basketball court. And zooming in on that image are inset into the larger image surrounding the newspaper. It's just really cool looking. It reminded me of the feeling that you got when you saw the first episode of Walking Dead, when Mm -hmm. it was showing you that this is how eerie it is without people where people normally would be. Yeah. Like, they captured that feeling very effectively in one one page. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, on page 17, Kid Xanthi looking so goddamn happy. That's just adorable. Little fuzzy guy. Uh Uh-huh. And then you see him today, just as cute. Mm -hmm. Think of that guy. He's the best. He's aged very well. Oh, yeah. As I said, the art throughout this is beautiful, even when the action it depicts is somewhat confused. On page 23, there is a panel where Vic is, I think, getting shot by Athens uh, when he is using the Phantasm Sphere. And it just looks like Vic is made out of lava. Delicious lava. Looks and like it hurts. It it looks like it hurts, but just the reds and the blacks are beautifully colored and beautifully illustrated, and it's just really cool looking. It is. 
So I, I think I mistakenly said it was on the first page before, but I think it's on the fourth, the scene where uh, the Titans are surrounded by Athens, Athens. forces. Yeah, and uh, that's that's really pretty cool, too. Like, this back-to-back surrounded by guns. Mm-hmm. Surrounded by the purple guns that are kind of a Demetrius yep. signature piece. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is a cool panel, too. And it very much harkens back to the cliffhanger of the last issue when we see the Titans have all those guns pointed at them. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Anything else? I'm strangely excited to find out what happens next. I kind of am, too. As I said, tons of issues with this comic, but whatever else it was, it was a page-turner. I think the Stallone movie, it would remind me of most, probably Rambo II First Blood, maybe, in that incredibly problematic... You you look at it, it has not aged well. The politics of the movie are not great. But as you're watching it, it certainly engages you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gets you excited to watch Rambo 3. Yeah. So we got uh, two more to go. Yep. This is issue three of five, so we got Rambo 3 and 4. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have not seen any Rambo past Rambo 3. I didn't see, I think the next one is just called Rambo. The last one? Well, there there was one before that. Okay. The last one is fucking awful. That's what I hear. That's what, specifically, that's what I hear from you. Do not watch it. I I won't. I won't watch any of them. I don't care. Okay. I'm busy. I'm watching bad Christmas movies. I accidentally watched a good Christmas movie the other day. Oh, no. It looked like it was going to be a bad Christmas movie, but uh, if you're looking for recommendations out there, you could do a lot worse than ghosting the spirit of Christmas. I thought it was going to be a very typical Hallmark movie type thing, and it surprised me by being much better than that. Had some genuine laughs, but mostly had, like, charismatic characters who were well-written and pretty well-developed, which was not expecting from a movie that had emojis in the title. Oh. Also, some implied ghost-fucking. All right. So, you know... If you have a specific ghost fucking fetish and you've already seen The Spirit of Christmas, which is a different ghost fucking Christmas movie, <laughs> and you're tired of watching High Spirits, which has uh, both Gutenberg and Ghost Kim Basinger hooking up and Ghost Liam Neeson hooking up with Beverly D'Angelo. Hey guys, this is Editor Hub here in the future. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. It's Ghost Daryl Hannah, not Ghost Kim Basinger. Also, I didn't even mention that Peter Gallagher plays a horny priest who hooks up with Jennifer Tilly. High spirits. It's a frighteningly horny movie. Also, Peter O'Toole's pretty great in it. Anyway, back to you, past hub. Then maybe give Ghosting the Spirit of Christmas a try. And that's your ghost fucking movie recommendations. <laughs> like that's just just a whole other show, Hope. Oh, I got confused. I forgot where I was. <laughs> Corey, thanks for joining me and uh, talking about this comic book. I had a good time going over it with you. Likewise, I'm amazed we uh, got through as much as we did in as much time as we did. We're pretty great. No, where is Aqualad this week? We know where Aqualad is. He's in Antarctica with Doom Patrol. 
So we don't need to speculate. Right. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com. Or we can be reached at our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. If you can't find us in those places, we can be reached on the internet in various places on the socials media. So, look for us there. Twitter is where we do the Battle of the Band Names, and also where I just uh, have some random musings. So you can check me out there, or in any of a myriad of places. Of course, SeaCaptainsOnly.com, LinkedIn, you know, all the places you'd expect to find a podcast. And hey, if you can't find us there, there is one more place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? I'm going to be trying to just keep a straight face while I read my lines into the teleprompter. Oh, yeah, well, I... I keep forgetting people don't all know that this is a fully scripted podcast. Mm -hmm. Really tightly, tightly scripted and uh, fully written out weeks, nay, months in advance. Yep, so I'll be practicing, you know? Well, I appreciate that. It's Mm -hmm. that kind of professionalism that uh, having a name like Corey Whitney on board really brings to a project like this. I am going to be... uh, Just being grateful for that professionalism. Thank you. That's what I'm doing in people's hearts. Mm, Gratitude. It's your gratitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude, Corey. Learned that on a poster of a whale flying through space. I thought it was um, attitude. Yeah, it probably helps too. Attitude rhymes with gratitude. Touché. If you would like to support the show financially, you can donate at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the podcast What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comic books that I've made that are up there. Uh, Throughout November, I've been doing a continuation of the spooky comics series that I started in October. And uh, I've talked about some really fun stuff. Tower of Shadows, the Twilight Zone comic book. That ended up digressing into an explanation of the Whitman Comics logo, which had always intrigued me. So there's a ton of stuff that's up there. And that is all just available for our patrons as a thank you for being so generous and donating. It really means a lot to me and helps the show continue to exist. So if you want to make sure that the show does continue to exist, you can uh, donate at patreon.com. So thank you. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, what's a way they could do that? You could donate your time in the form of either leaving a review for the show Mm -hmm. or telling other people about the show to help them find it. What's an example of a way people would tell people about the show? What's something they could say? You could be um, shopping at a grocery store. Sure. Socially distanced, of course. Of course. And um, just be like, hey, (laughs) you should listen to this show. It'll make your life better. Yeah, I like that. It's a self-improvement thing. Mm -hmm. People love self-improvement these days. Especially from strangers in a grocery store socially distanced. Yeah, it's their favorite. Hey, you know what? The the holiday season is officially begun, so maybe you're at a family dinner. Every time a relative says something 
racist. You could just drown them out by saying, that's real interesting, Uncle Festus. <laughs> but you know what's more interesting? Tighten up the defense and just like change the topic, divert to that subject. Redirect. Redirect, non-confrontational. Or if you want to be more confrontational, just be like, shut the fuck up, Uncle Festus. That's racist as hell. Mm-hmm. Listen to tighten up the defense. <laughs> it's not. Hopefully. <laughs> we hope. Or how about this? Why don't you go leave a review in a place where a review can be left? Yep. Maybe the uh, the place where you uh, downloaded this podcast from. Just uh, go to the Tighten Up the Defense page on there, and uh, it'll ask for a review, probably. Mm-hmm. And just uh, hit the button that says Leave a Review, and then type in uh, Tighten Up the Defense. Pretty good. Five stars. It's the only thing that'll shut Uncle Festus up. Yeah. Five stars. I hate Uncle Festus. Five stars. Yeah. You probably need different accounts to leave those three reviews. I don't, or just go on different platforms. Yeah, just go on different platforms. Leave them around. Just pepper, pepper them around. Really take your Uncle Festus down a peg. Yep. Also take Uncle Fester down a peg. Mm-hmm. He's had it too good for too long living in that Adams family mansion, having his own video game that I think he had for the NES. Yeah. Might have been Super Nintendo. So if that, really whatever motivates you, but it, leaving a review helps people yeah. find the show. You remember the MC Hammer song that was in the uh, Adams Family movie? No. Had a line where it's like, kick and they slap a friend. Seems like a weird thing to do. Hmm? Yeah. Kick. Kick and they slap a friend. The Adams Family. Do what they want to do. Play how they want to play. Kick and they slap a friend. It's maybe... He didn't say that? No, I looked it up. He did. And you know what's weird? He stands by it. That is weird. Yeah. He's like, you should slap your friends. MC Hammer. I don't agree with that. I don't either. Okay, good. You know why he's named uh, MC Hammer? He used to be a ball boy for the uh, Oakland A's, and they thought he looked like Hank Aaron. Hammer and Hank. No kidding. I think. It's either that or it has something to do with him having a big dick. But I think that it is the first one. Maybe it's both. I don't yeah, f- yeah. I don't fucking know. No. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>
Okay, good. If you can't reach us in the... <laughs> Drink the rest of your booze. Yeah, you're right. There you go. Okay, say some stuff, Corey. Hey! Oh, that was so loud. I'm sorry. That's okay. I probably hurt your ears. No, it's fine. Hello. <laughs> hey, that's the Corey we all know. All right.